Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black, as well as my co-host, Cole Miller. Cole, this was certainly a week for the books because we launched the official Draft Deeper website. If anyone out there hasn't checked it out yet, draftdeeper.com, please certainly go there, poke around on the website, let us know on all forms of social media at Draft Deeper on Twitter, uh, like our Facebook page. Let us know what you think about the website and the first profile on Jalen Johnson. Um, certainly would love to hear anyone's thoughts out there. Uh, praises, criticisms, whatever the case may be, we'd love to hear it. Uh, one thing I do want to say about the website, and, and I'll let Cole make any comments on this if he so chooses, but I, I wrote a letter for the About Us section and really what Draft Deeper stands for. And I threw some interesting tidbits in there in case anybody has actually taken the chance to read some of it regarding how I want this platform to represent the scouting landscape and ultimately my vision for for what I want this to become. And I've touched on some of these things at previous points here in the podcast, but uh, we've been doing a big board 1.0 series on this podcast and that's where we're going to go today we're going to go through 21 through 25 on our respective big boards and then next week we're going to finish it out 26 through 30 but after this series um, Cole and I had some conversations and we've kind of agreed that big boards rankings coming out and definitively saying one person is better than another we don't want to go down that route anymore um, and, and a lot of the reasoning behind that is what this platform was founded on. It was founded to, to be an educational platform, a more discussion-based platform, um, digging into the game of basketball itself as much as we can when we're talking about these uh, these prospects. Really, that's our main focus, and that's our passion, is better analysis, not necessarily being right or wrong all the time and and taking pride in being right or wrong. And I think that takes away from the evaluations at times. It takes away from how we discuss these prospects once they've gotten into the NBA. We want these prospects to prove us wrong. We want these guys to succeed and, and, and get to their potential and reach it no matter how they have to do it, right? So regardless of what our evaluation says about these guys from their days in college through where they could be at and where they are going in the NBA. We don't want a narrative to be, oh, well, we thought this. So if he doesn't end up being able to do it in the NBA, like we were right. Like we don't ever want to have those conversations. And the more you look around on social media, that that's what a lot of the conversation becomes is, oh, well, I had this guy first on my big board. Like I'm right. And I've absolutely been guilty of this in the past. And it's something that, I want to ditch moving forward. And I think Cole agrees with me on that, Cole. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that that mission statement that I've set out to put up on the website? No, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this with you if I didn't back it. So I definitely agree the big board style for at least us uh, is a little outdated. It doesn't totally capture everything we want to say about all the players. And, you know, we really do want to just look at uh, all the possible upsides for each player um, because there isn't one definitive upside for, for every guy. Um, career trajectories change all the time. And um, speaking of changing all the time, big boards change all the time. So as we've been going through this, <laughs> you know, like I'm really kind of just cramming in five dudes I haven't talked about at this point. 
the order isn't really indicative of what I totally think at this anymore. Like we've talked about, you know, 20 great players so far. When you talk about five to six or seven different, uh, you know, interesting guys tonight as well. But I would have these guys at different points on my board if I was really to take a step back and like do a re-ranking right now. And I think you feel the same way. So I'm excited to, you know, design our website to the point where it, you know, it it, it reads how it, we want to, evaluate players and so that it's like a lot more intuitive I think for readers uh, to get a sense of how we feel about every player in the draft I agree Um, and and when when I wasn't going off of like a quote-unquote ranking system through the 2020 draft for guys that I'd have as like priority second round targets or guys to watch for later in the second round maybe guys that would go undrafted I feel like when I opened it up I had a lot more fun having some of these conversations and doing some of these evaluations about these prospects. So um, it's definitely something that you and I are aligned on. I'm glad we're aligned on it. And I think it's also really going to set us apart on the the, the draft landscape within the social media landscape, because so many people are focused on having these boards and, and ranking these guys saying who's better, but you don't really see a lot of content out there. That's just, having a discussion or having a conversation about where we think these prospects could, could ultimately end up. Um, and, and over the last week, week and a half, it's actually really interesting since we've launched the website and since I was preparing some of that content to go up, I, I've seen some people bring up topics like, where has some of the, the, the deeper draft conversation gone? No, no pun intended, but like, where, where has some of it gone? And that's, an area where I think that you and I, Cole, can contribute in greatly. And I'm excited to see uh, where we take this platform ultimately. So uh, without further ado, let's break into what we have planned for this week. So 21 through through 25, um, Cole, you started out with a guy who I have 23 um, ranked right now, Franz Wagner, um, little younger brother to, to Mo Wagner, um, certainly had a great run at Michigan and Franz is doing the same thing. Um, he's, he's really helped propel that team along with some other fun guys like livers, like Hunter Dickinson, um, who's another great freshman that we're probably going to end up talking about at some point. Um, Franz Wagner is an interesting one. So his brother, Mo, as you and I have talked about plenty off the air, um, what was a true center um, had showed a little more finesse to his game in college, but since he's gotten in the NBA, you literally just made this point to me before we started recording the podcast that he's embraced being this this more physical, this more lunch pail kind of center in the NBA, this big man who isn't afraid to bang down low. Um, he has that nasty to his game. Now, that's not to say he didn't have some of that nasty in college because he absolutely did, right? Like he, he, he took some things personally <laughs> at, at Michigan and it helped propel that team to greater heights and make some of those tournament runs that they did. So... Um, I, I don't see that really in Franz's game, but they're also two different players, right? Like Franz is in, is a forward, but he's more in, in the mold of like a wing, um, like a playmaking wing. And he actually passes the ball pretty well. He, he only averages 3.1 assists per game, but that number doesn't tell the whole story behind what he does. He's absolutely a creative passer when he does have the ball in his hands. And for all of the offense he does generate for that team, uh, whether that's scoring off the bounce or, or making plays for others, he only turns the ball over 1.1 times per game. So that to me says a lot about his ball control, his awareness of 
everything that's going on around him um, and, and how efficient of a player he's been overall. He's in the 88th percentile in total offense. Um, he's excellent transition. He's pretty much good or, or, or better and everywhere else on the floor. Um, a few interesting stats that stood out to me, and, and I'll get your thoughts on, on your evaluation as a whole, Cole, and then in some of these stats in general uh, when, when I kick it over to you. But he's in the 100th percentile in post-ups, including passes, and in the 100th percentile in post-ups overall. Now, that's really interesting because he's not a traditional post player, but when he's able to catch the ball near the basket and then turn, he, he's able to do a quick turn, face up, and then either make a play for somebody else or he has some touch scoring in the lane as well. He's got a nice floater game to him um, on top of everything else that he can do outside the arc. He's certainly proven that he can make shots um, off the catch and be a threat from behind the arc, but I don't really see him as a natural like three-point shooter. I think he's a lot more comfortable doing things off the dribble inside the arc um, and, and making a play at the basket, kind of like I've alluded to. So what are some of the things that you've noticed from Franz Cole? Why do you have him at 21 versus where I have him at 23? What are the, some of the things you like about his game? You hit on a few of them already. The fact that he is such a good passer. Um, I mean, you forgot to mention that he's at, at six eight six nine, uh, and his size that he is that good of a passer as well. I mean, he he'll run the high pick and roll, and then he'll hit some cutters that are leaking back door on a bounce pass through the defense. And it's like, oh, holy cow! Um, yeah, so he's kind of the inverse of his brother for sure. His brother has you know that dirty play style that you mentioned. He's got the more skillful play style. Um, you know, they'd probably be an interesting high low combination at some point in a, in a two-on-two game um, but I think the appeal for Franz is definitely the offensive skill set overall um, I think the shooting will come he's an 80 plus percent foul shooter so I think that will come in time he's not like a, a great catch and shoot uh, shooter just yet like you said moving off screens um, and turning and squaring but I think he'll get better at that I think he's the age of a lot of uh, current like most freshmen like Cade and, and a lot of those guys Jalen Johnson as, as well so um, he's got age working for him as already being a sophomore, uh, two years of college experience under his belt and still not yet 20. Um, so that's definitely a positive in my book as well. I think the one thing I would really hone in on is that he has that 3.1 assist to 1.1 turnover uh, ratio. I think that bodes really well for his um, ability going forward. I think he makes quick decisions you know, when he's in the post, whether it's for him to score or to hit you know, a passer or excuse me, a shooter out of the post. Um, you know, he's he's going to be well-suited for a team that doesn't want, like, guys standing in one place a lot. So he'll, he'll be able to hit guys moving all over the floor. I think he can make all the passes in the book, honestly. Um, he just needs that type of role where it's, it's showcased. Uh, and so I think he'll be a valuable offensive member for any team he lands on that, um, you know, puts him in that role. Uh, do you think the shooting doesn't come for him? I mean, again, like, he's an 80% foul shooter, so I really do think he'll be able to figure out the standstill shooting and, and it'll actually become a strength for him in time. I agree. Um, I, I think a lot, probably the the ultimate upside or like the outcome that I would love to see from him. And I don't know whether this is a reasonable outcome for him, but certainly I think could could come in time would be like a Gordon Hayward type role probably would be like his ultimate outcome right now. If I had to evaluate him today and, and give my perspective on on how I think he develops and where he ends up in time. I think it's as a really high level role player, um, someone who you can definitely ask to do multiple different things within the offense. Um, he's not going to hurt you on defense, but 
as of right now, I don't know if I, I see like a potential star outcome, but if we're talking about like ceilings, that's, I think where you would want him to end up, right? Like Gordon Hayward at his size, very similar size, um, does a lot of different things off the dribble. He has been an underrated passer throughout his entire career, whether that be when he was at Butler versus what he's done in Utah and other places now in the NBA. Um, that's probably the the ceiling that you would want Franz to hit shooting wise. Um, but all the different things that Gordon Hayward does off the dribble, getting others involved, making plays for himself at the basket. Um, th- you see a lot of that stuff in, in Franz's game. So while I don't necessarily want to hammer at home, like that's a, a firm comparison for Franz. I think that's a, a, a fairly reasonable ceiling for him to hit. Should everything break right in the NBA? We talked about his standstill shooting, his ability to hit shots off the catch. Um, he, he moves very well around the court in general. He, he's not a subpar athlete. He's rated out as excellent in transition. So he knows how to fill lanes, how to get himself out in the break for easy baskets. And that just helps set up not only his game, but everyone else's game around him. So I do certainly see a lot of other things hitting home for him. I don't know. What what do you think about that, that name that I brought up, Gordon Hayward for him, Cole? I think that's interesting. And I do think there is a little bit better of a chance that he's a starter than I think you're giving him, actually. Um, oh, no, I, I see him as a starter. I just, when I say okay. role player, I mean like role player within like a starting line. You know what offense. I mean? Like you have like yeah. higher end starters yeah, that course. are borderline stars. Exactly. No, but I, I think, I think the offense could get pretty good for him, honestly. Um, you mentioned the ball handling. It, it's really good for his size and his age. Uh, the transition, as we know, he's really, he's excellent at, um, but a lot of that comes as him being the ball handler, just about 50% of uh, his possessions in transition uh are as the ball handler and that's where he rates out as excellent so i think that's something to keep an eye on i think his ball handling is going to get a lot better i think he'll be able to shoot off the handle um off the bounce pretty well at the next at the next level and like you said he moves well so i think he's going to be able to shake guys i i think he's kind of a late bloomer in some ways but he's not even that old it's more like he's coming from you know kind of an old school development program as a german kid probably from his younger days and now mm-hmm. he's he's a little bit more skilled than mo was and he's just kind of you know he's just learning how to translate all those skills uh, at this level and then of course the next level will be another challenge for him but i think i think there's a lot there and um, we're not just we haven't seen all of it just yet yeah and, and the the other interesting part is that you, you mentioned when we were talking about big boards how we constantly want to reevaluate rankings and, and where we would slot guys um, he's one that's certainly taken a rise over just the last like month, month and a half. Like mm-hmm. we've gotten to the point where now he's consistently putting up like 19, 20 point games uh, on pretty good efficiency. He's moving the ball like we've talked about. So he's he's been more assertive in the offense just pretty recently um, than he was at the beginning of the season. So he the fact that he's putting up those great performances with more consistency that speaks to the potential volume that he may be able to handle in bigger games. As the season winds down, we're expecting Michigan to be able to go on a run in the NCAA tournament. And I think the fact that Franz is hitting a higher stride more consistently now speaks to the kind of buzz that he's starting to get in NBA draft circles. I know scouts have uh, certainly been watching him, for a while now, in part because he's Mo's younger brother, but also because of the skill sets that you and I have talked about. But now his case is just going to be elevated on a much higher level because of where Michigan's at, the kind of team success they're having. Um, and that's that's really boosting Wagner's draft stock. 
Yeah, and I'll finish with that. While he's not rough and dirty like Mo, he's he's sturdy and he does rebound pretty well. So I don't think he's going to be lacking like the, the necessary physicality and, and toughness to to see those numbers drop off in any kind of meaningful, like super meaningful way at the next level for him. I agree. I agree. Um, so mo- moving on past Franz, um, you have Usman Garuba at, at number twenty-two. Now this is a guy who I went into a little bit last week, giving a lot of my thoughts on him. Um, Cole, you finally have him ranked here. So um, what 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 did you learn about Garuba doing a little more studying on him, and, and what were maybe a few nuggets that you wanted to add in on from from your first thoughts last week? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously the profile on Garuba hasn't changed in a week or anything like that. Um, and he definitely fits into the to the category of if I had more time to reset my draft board here, and he would probably be up it a little further just based off safeness. I think this guy could be dropped into the NBA and help rotation pretty much in a week or two, um, you know, once he gets up to communication speeds with his teammates. I just think his body's, like, ready to go. He knows how to defend the rim at a high level, uh, both, like, in you know, in a help fashion or just protecting it uh, straight up. So I think he's going to be a very, very good defender. He's going to be a very good rebounder. Um, he may be undersized for five at six, eight, but he is definitely not like he, he might be short, but he is not small and his body's only going to get better uh, from now until when the NBA season starts for his rookie year. So I think he's just like a nice modern day meat potatoes five. Uh, he's not going to kill you on offense either like he's he's not like Bismack Biombo. no offense Bismack, but he's got a little bit more skill than that um and so I think there's a I think there's a chance that he puts a little bit more skill together and he's a pretty you know he's a really reliable not sexy like just very nice five maybe in the Udonis Haslam role when Udonis was playing in his best days um so I don't know what have you thought about Garuba since we last talked about him I mean, nothing for me regarding the evaluation has changed. A lot of the points that you hit on are, are some of the things that I shared last week and my overall evaluation on him as well. Um, and, and certainly once we're able to go a little bit deeper on these international prospects and we get some more profiles up on the website, I'm sure that I'll have maybe a, a, a nugget or two extra that I've picked up to be able to share. But other than that, you, you hit pretty much hit everything. Um, right on the head. So I don't really have much to add about Garuba. What I will say is that he's part of what's becoming a more interesting international class than we may have thought entering this year. Um, you, you've heard some some professionals on some other podcast channels and some other draft uh, communication streams say that this is a pretty weak international class. And while that may be true in terms of overall quantity, I don't think that's going to be the case in terms of quality. You, you and I have shared a few names off the air that I'm pretty excited to dive a little deeper into um, once we start getting a, a little more down the road in terms of our podcast series. But yeah, I, I think Garuba is actually absolutely going to be an NBA player. He's going to be um, a contributor in, in one way or another. I think having him as a first round talent is absolutely justified, even if maybe he doesn't do some of those other things that we alluded to last week, like he doesn't get better in like the catch and shoot game or he's not able to stretch the floor. If he is just an enforcer, if he's still putting up averages, like I said, of like 14 points, eight rebounds a game um, for, for, for a good, a good, the decent team, like, that's still worth taking in like the top 25 of an NBA draft. So I, I think his his ceiling is pretty much tailor-made for him at this point. The question is, is how, how deep is he going to impact an NBA game and to what extent? 
Like, like what, what are the numbers he's ultimately going to be able to put up? But yeah, his, his body, he, he is NBA ready to, to bang down low to, I, I think tomorrow. So and he's, and he's got plus instincts too. I mean, he's, he doesn't bite at pump fakes. I mean, he's been playing it over at the highest level in Europe. So he's definitely got that out of his game playing in Europe against those wily guys. Um, and he, you know, he's good in short bursts around the rim against perimeter uh, players. So I think he's going to be a hell of a defender. And so, yeah. Yeah, that that's pretty much where the the bulk of his quote unquote NBA appeal lies is not only his ability to rebound on both ends of the floor, but particularly in some of the interesting things we see from his defensive game, being able to potentially switch and pick and roll coverages, um, being able right. to migrate out migrate out to the perimeter, kind of like you alluded to, and then protect the rim because he is such a solid body. Um, he he's he's not a negative athlete by any means. I wouldn't call him like this this incredible leaper, but he can get up off of two feet. Um, and, and certainly go up and protect the rim. So he, he's definitely a lot more exciting on the defensive end than I think a lot of what he's going to do offensively. He, he's going to be an easy bucket finisher. If he gets some some looks in transition when he's running the floor hard, great. That's awesome. Um, but, but yeah, his, his appeals absolutely tied more into what he brings defensively. Um, speaking of potential rim protectors in the NBA – we get to number 23 on your board, number 22 on mine, Kai Jones. By the way, don't worry. We'll, we'll discuss 21 on my board in a second when we get to him on Coles. But um, Kai Jones, 6'11", 218-pound center prospect out of Texas, playing with, with Greg Brown and, and Jericho Sims to tie together that really good front court that Texas has been able to deploy all season. Um, he, he comes off the bench. I would love to see him get more playing time than 22 and a half minutes per game because I think at this point, given his skill set and what he brings to the table on both ends of the floor, I think more playing time for him is absolutely justified. Still putting up averages, 8.6 points per game, five rebounds per game. Um, not a passer, similar to Greg Brown. He, he's really not a passer, but given what NBA teams would likely ask him to do or want him to develop in, I don't think that playmaker is necessarily going to be like a big part of his game. Um, but the interesting thing about him is that he ranks in the 94th percentile in total offense, right? But it's how he gets those points to me that, that certainly raises a few questions and brings up a few argumentative points, which you and I have alluded to in other points in this podcast, Cole, but we'll certainly get into in a second. Um, he's in the 96th percentile in transition offense, 94th percentile in spot ups. So Right away, you can already picture this really athletic, mobile center slash forward prospect. He's able to knock down open shots when he's given the opportunity off the catch. Um, he's rated out as excellent on jump shots. He's excellent in catch and shoot looks. Um, but he's in the sixth percentile overall as a roll man in pick and roll actions. Now, just given what you and I know about the NBA game, um, how the NBA likes to play through its bigs. Obviously, pick and roll offense is a huge part of that, right? So you and I have mentioned before that we're more concerned about his body and whether he'll be ready for the physicality of the NBA more than anything. I think that that statistic is certainly damning in like the worst way possible and, and kind of gives like that negative argument to his draft case more ammunition, right? Um, and, and same thing on, on defense. Um, he's in the 58th percentile in total defense, which isn't terrible, but that could certainly be better given 
the the type of player that you would think you're getting just by looking at him. Uh, but same thing in the sixth percentile defensively around the basket. So, I mean, there there are clearly physical concerns there, Cole. But some of the things that those stats don't point to, kind of talking about like his his spot up offense, his ability to do a few things off the dribble, his footwork is tremendous. Like while he's not like this this I'm going to get in your face, like I'm going to bang down low kind of big man prospect. He has some of the best footwork in this class, period. Like the the Euro steps that that man deploys. I mean, he's really wowed me with step some backs. of the things he's able to do off the dribble. Yeah, that the the, the step back um, three that he hit the other night. So um, you've kind of come around on him a little bit. I don't think that like a month ago you wanted to rank him as like a first round prospect, but talk to me, Cole, about some of the things that you've seen from him over the last month of evaluating him and why you're starting to get a little higher um, on him, period. Right. So the skill is just so abundant with Kai Jones and he's still got time on his side. I mean, all of these guys do, but even more so being a sophomore, he's in the same boat as Franz that he's a underaged sophomore in the sense that he won't turn 20. Um, which is right in line with some of the best prospects in this class in Cade and Jalen Johnson and a couple of Jalen Suggs. So from that standpoint, he has time to continue working on his body and bulking up and alleviating those concerns. And it's not like he needs to come be this physical freak, right? Let's, he doesn't need to get like so insane with his body that it's, it's some, like he's some kind of insane muscle mass freak. But he just needs to get to the point where he can stand his own ground and take the contact that's going to come with uh, you know, his drives to the rim because you're not going to take that away from him. That's in his game. He's definitely going to be taking the ball from the perimeter off the bounce and, and go into the rim. So he just needs to be able to bulk up, I think, and it'll come together for him. I'm not 100% certain it'll happen without injury over time you know, and like how long it'll take. Uh, we've seen other centers of his build a little bit take three and four years to get to the point where they can finally play on the, on the floor in the league. So I think if you're investing in Kai Jones, it's going to be with the idea that he's going to go play a lot in the G League. I really do think that even if he is a first rounder, um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to get his full blow of, of physicality in the G League uh, and and get a sense of what it's like to hold up over a season, banging around and, and just playing at a high speed and a high level for as many minutes as he can take. Um, he's been playing a little bit more in conference play. I think Shock is starting to trust him more and more with good reason. Um, so as the rest of the season goes, what do you think he could do to help improve uh, his draft stock, if at any, anything at all? I think, honestly, if he just gets more opportunity, I think he's going to start to fill out more of that stat sheet. Like, for example, for as athletic as he is and as instinctual of a defensive playmaker that we've seen him be on multiple occasions, he only averages 1.6 combined steals and blocks per game. I think if if he's given another six, seven, eight minutes per game and he's playing a lot more alongside Greg Brown, um, I think th- those numbers could absolutely go up because how how Greg has transformed as a defender is that he's holding his ground a lot better. He's not biting on a lot of the other fakes that offenses were trying to throw at him. He, he's really honing in on what can make him such a special defender, and that is being able to stay with somebody and maybe direct traffic a little bit, right? Like if you're thinking about Greg Brown being this more perimeter oriented defender, um, not letting somebody get an easy step on him and he can kind of stay in front of his man and then direct him in the traffic to where Kai Jones is like this amazing, like help side shot blocker. 
Um, I, I think that is certainly an area that that Shaka's finding more trust in. And a reason why Kai's getting more minutes is because he's starting to see some real positive results from the two of them playing together. And I definitely think that's one way where, where Kai can get some of those those numbers up just by default um, through, through a lot more opportunity and experience. He, here's an interesting thought that I have about Kai, and I don't know whether you'll co-sign uh, co on this or not, Cole, is I don't know if he's ever going to be physically there to be like a full-time starter in the NBA at the center position. But if a good team wants to deploy him off the bench, he is so different compared to what you normally would see from like a backup center. Like when you're thinking backup centers in the NBA, you're thinking about those, like those bruisers, those guys who can come in, rebound the ball. You, you know, they're drawing a few fouls, but they're really there to, to be like a physical presence while kind of holding everything together, being the glue guy while you're, you're starting big men or starting forwards are out of the game. Kai can do different things offensively to the point where like, if you're a coach on the opposing team, he could get to a point offensively where you kind of have to game plan around him a little bit, right? Like your, your normal, your typical game plan for like your second unit going up against somebody else's second unit might not fly with some of the things that Kai Jones likes to do offensively, particularly as we've been talking about his off the dribble game. So while he might not be the best option to start down the road for an NBA team, he could be a pretty unique and interesting weapon off the bench for somebody, even a really good team. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll co-sign that for sure. Um, I think that's where you're headed with that. Uh, but <laughs> um, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. He's definitely could be a very valuable uh, bench five uh, weapon type deal. Uh, sort of like a taller Chris Boucher in that sense. He's really come off the bench with Toronto and been like an offensive um, force at times and also uh, a, a defensive force at times too, racking up blocks and steals. So I think Kai could get to that type of level where he's up against the backups or, you know, half the backups, half the starters, and the body isn't so much as necessary. He has to be like a starter type level body. Um, and I, I don't think he'll ever get there. So that's fine. I don't think you, I don't think you, you anticipate that it, you're, you're going to be disappointed with Kai. I think you need to be able to treat him as that type of weapon and then you'll get the most out of him for sure. Cause he is super skilled and that just shouldn't go to waste. He is. And he's proven at Texas that he can rack up points in bunches. Like, you'll just like go to the bathroom or something while you're watching a Texas game and you'll come back and he will have dropped like eight to 10 points in a stretch. Like that's happened. And he's absolutely capable of doing that. And I think he'd be capable of doing the same thing. And then in the NBA, I like that you brought up the, the Chris Boucher name because he's certainly a completely different type of center than, than you'd expect traditionally coming off of somebody's bench and between his shooting ability, between some of the things that Boucher can even do off the dribble to an extent, like he just, completely introduces a different dimension to a second unit offense where you're like oh crap like he either kept toronto in this game where you didn't expect the raptors to maybe hold on to a lead or he's even brought them back in situations and played well enough to the point where when um, nick nurse has brought some of the starters back on the floor you leave boucher in the game because he's been such a unique offensive weapon and he's so hot from the floor like it'd be damning to take him off the floor. So I can certainly see a similar type of outcome for, for Kai with some of the things he can do, especially if that spot up three point shooting is real. Like he's hitting on 42% of his threes. Now he's not taking a high volume. He's only taken um, about close to like one and a half per game. But when he does get the opportunity to shoot open jump shots, 
Um, we, we've alluded to some of the footwork that's gotten him into some step back looks, but even when he's just getting a clean look off the catch, like he's got a good shot and, and, and yeah. it goes in. He's going to hit corner threes. No problem. And look, if you're six eleven hitting uh, behind the dri- behind the back dribble, step backs threes at age 19, like you're probably going to be able to hit threes. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's figured out how to score at an efficient rate, despite some of those concerns that we have about him. He still has a 66 uh, percent true shooting percentage. Uh, we we mentioned his efficiency in offense overall. Like the dude knows how to play basketball, and he knows how to take advantage of his strengths, despite not having the the physical makeup that you'd expect from somebody who's six eleven. So um, I I really like his his long term potential. And look, if his body is able to add more weight than you and I think, and it's able to fill out a little better than we're projecting, then Monster. he can have an interesting interesting starter outcome down the right. road. So. I, I like him. I, I've liked him all season. I, I think he's starting to climb up um, pretty high on some evaluators' boards. Like I think Jonathan Wasserman has had him as well, like a top ten, top eleven guy at this point. So I, I, I mean, the, the the sky could potentially be the limit for Kai as long as he physically gets to a point where where he can handle starters' minutes and and playing against starters. Period. So, moving on from from Kai. Um, number 24 on your board, number 21 on mine. Um, he's certainly made an impression on me over the last few games for, for Baylor, and that's Davion Mitchell, um, a guy who, who started at Auburn, um, eventually transferred to Baylor, which if, if you take a look at how Davion wants to play the game, I think he could have been as successful at Auburn as he has been at Baylor because they're two programs with two very similar mindsets. Um, when you're talking about what Scott Drew and Bruce Pearl both want to do, they both employ very physical, tough-minded defensive teams. And, and that's Mitchell's calling card that you would think of first for him, um, is how much he's able to hound guys on the perimeter and how well he excels in defense, um, which he's in the 90th percentile in total defense. He's excellent in pick-and-roll coverage. He, he's good to average in, in certain isolation situations, but he's pretty much very good to excellent, like, in the majority of areas you would want him to be on defense, which I bring up the pick and roll coverage aspect um, re- regarding guarding ball handlers. That's so important in today's NBA game because that's one of the more common play types, right? Like what does every, what does every NBA team love to do? They love to run through a spread pick and roll um, offense for the most part. So um, Mitchell is constantly fighting through screens. He's tough as nails. He loves to stick with guys. He makes plays on the ball defensively almost as often as as Jared Butler does. And we talked about how much we love Butler's on-ball defense um, in a previous podcast. Well, uh, Mitchell's also averaging 2.4 steals and blocks combined per game, which is pretty great stat, right, for, for any defender period. Yeah. Um, but especially what's guards. Re- especially guards, exactly. Um, and what's really driven his appeal overall is – how hot he's been offensively. So averaging 13.8 points per game, but shooting 54% from the field, 49.4% from three. Holy cow, on almost five three-point attempts per game. Like now now we're starting to get into, um, oh my gosh, like he could, he could be a legitimate threat from three from day one in the NBA game. And given some of the things he's able to do um, off the bounce athletically, like for, for how much I love Butler, I'd still think that Butler's probably the better prospect of the two because of the poise that he plays with. Like when, when Butler's off the floor for Baylor, it seems like it's a completely different team. Like they're not as poised. They're not as ready to handle um, so many different situations. 
But what Mitchell has over Butler is Mitchell's a much better athlete than, than Jared Butler is. Like, that dude is cat quick. He's moving around uh, the floor with the ball in his hands. He, he's moving around all over. He's able to get to his spots. He's able to finish at the rim. And if he's shooting the ball lights out like that, I mean, holy cow, like we're talking about an offensive force. Um, and that's really what I see him being at the next level is like a, a really good microwave type scorer. But even if that's what you're getting with a pick in the 20s and he's able to like stick in an NBA rotation and, and that's what you're going to get, that's perfectly fine for a pick like that. Um, one area that I definitely love to see him improve in is he does average 2.7 turnovers per game. That granted, he's improved his passing attack as well. He's averaging almost six assists per game. But those 2.7 turnovers definitely reflect in how he plays. He plays a little too fast at times, right? Like for, for what Butler has at poison, his ability to change speeds, a Mitchell doesn't have that in his game yet. He wants to operate at one speed, and that's like full force attack mode on both ends all the time, right? Yet for the fact that he moves at such a quick pace and wants to just attack, 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 there are times where he's moving so fast that like he may not be able to process where the defense is at all the time. And he settles for jump shots because he's moving at one speed. And he's like, holy crap, like there's three guys here. Like, I don't know how creatively I can get um, downhill attacking the rim. So he only gets to the line. Like he only shoots like two free throw attempts per game. So balancing his attack operating at different speeds, learning how to change speeds a lot better and, and process the game at a higher level. I think that's probably Mitchell's biggest weakness as a player overall right now. But Cole, what are some of the things you've seen from Mitchell already? What do you think about my evaluation on him in terms of being this like potential microwave bucket getter, someone who can go nuclear at the next level? So, I mean, you bring up the fact that he might be able to get buckets at a high level, but he's also a really good defender. And, and usually, you know, microwave guys aren't terrific defenders, not that they're bad. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, which kind of path you would have him take if you were drafting him. Uh, I would kind of prefer him on this, this pick-and-roll defensive monster path because we, we see the stats on how good he is and effective at that. Uh, and a guy that's more of a three-point shot maker – uh, and, you know, opportunistic driver when he's able to use his athleticism. Uh, he's got a pretty good handle and he's strong going to the rim, like you mentioned. Um, I just don't know if <clears throat> he's got enough of that floor general in him to run the show full time. Uh, like you said, when Butler's off the floor and it's hit the balls in Mitchell's hands a little bit more in that way, uh, the offense is kind of stuttering or yeah, stuttering a little bit here and there. So I, I think between that and like the, the turnover issue, like you mentioned, um, and just the one speed that he plays at right now, he's been in college for three years. He hasn't shown a ton of growth in that department yet. Uh, the change of speeds and Butler has just got him, he got him by beat by beat in that department uh, by a long shot. But I just think you, you don't want Mitchell running the show full time. I think you want him next to some other guys who can play make um, a little bit more regularly. I know this name gets thrown out a bunch, but because he is so effective at blowing up pick and rolls, uh, I, I think I'd prefer Davian on a bit of a Pat Beverly path. Uh, he's probably a little bit better of an offensive player um, than Pat Beverly, but Pat Beverly might also just be a little bit more nastier than, than Davian, which is fine because nobody should be as nasty as Pat Beverly. Um, but again, yeah, my question to you is like, which path would you put him on if you were to draft him? See, here's the thing. I don't know. I kind of agree in the sense that like, I don't know if he's that good of a floor general or like a pure point guard to definitely hold down the one spot 
at the NBA level. Now, if he's playing alongside another guy who can take up the majority of that point guard mantle or somebody that can bail him out when Mitchell gets himself caught in making a mistake because he's moving too fast, like he usually has Jared Butler there to to take the reins and kind of take a play over and figure out where the team needs to go if Mitchell makes a mistake. And that's really an, a really interesting aspect to Baylor is that you'll see Mitchell bring the ball up the court a lot, even when ba- even when Butler's on the floor with him. But Butler's so much more of a natural playmaker that you'll you'll see at times where Davion tries to like pick and probe a little bit in the half court and he'll bring the ball back out. And he won't quite know where to go with it unless he has like this open lane to the basket or an open jump shot opportunity. He'll pass the ball back to Butler and then they'll run like a pick and roll set with Butler and Butler will kind of like figure out where to position everybody on the floor. And he'll be just a much more natural leader and playmaker. So if that type of player exists in in an NBA starting lineup with Mitchell and Mitchell's able to lean on somebody else to kind of shore up some of the mistakes that he might get himself caught in because he's playing at such a fast and and, and aggressive speed, then yeah, I think it can work in that he can progress more down a starter's path versus being this microwave bucket getter off the bench. But if that player doesn't exist on the team that he is being drafted into, then yeah, I'm not sure that while some of the passing stats look nice, at the college level, I don't know if we can expect him to have the same efficiency and play that similar type of role without somebody else there at the NBA level. So I think what's more likely to happen is I think like the the really good third guard, like your six man off the bench is probably more likely to happen for him. But yeah, it all depends on who's drafting him. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair analysis uh, of his potential situations. Um, I think to your point about him being a potential microwave guy, he's really good. If you dive deep into his synergy numbers, he's really good going either left or right. Um, and he gets into the lane. He finishes pretty well, um, either jump shot floater or, or at the basket. Uh, so I think that's because of his better. speed. Like yeah, that guy no. takes one step and he's gone. Right. Yeah. He, he really is. And he's a powerful dribbler too. Like he protects the rock with some strong dribbles. I think really the bulk of his turnovers come more of like just over dribbling and probably some tough passes that he shouldn't be making. But at that, even at that, he's a solid passer. Like, even in some pick-and-roll situations, mm-hmm. he'll effortlessly hit uh, shooters popping over to the corner uh, with either hand, like one, like one-handed left or right chest passes, and he's hitting them with perfect touch and, like, and promptly right as they're squaring up. So, like, that's impressive to me. So he can pass. I just don't think you want him in the full-time floor general role. And he's got a couple different really interesting outcomes depending on who drafts him, like you said. Exactly. You, I don't know if you want him in like the floor general role, like you're constantly running everything through him. You're letting him set up all of your offensive sets. But at the same time, it's really nice to see his progression in the passing game because it shows that, you know, it, it's something that he can get better at in terms yeah. of when he is on the move and he has to make a play because he doesn't have an easy look at the basket or he can't just like pull up really well like he's got like two defenders around him he has to do a lot of things in traffic he can pass out and he can make the right play like he's capable of doing it um so he's he's proven that he's he can be a versatile offensive threat and combined with his like speed and athletic package like i don't know how you can pass up on somebody like that through the first like 25 picks at this point regardless of where you have him ranked i think that he he's probably a, as much of a lock i'd think as anybody else at this point to go in the first round to given some things that you've read and seen Cole, are you starting to, to get that buzz with Mitchell? 
Definitely. And Baylor's going to make a deep run, and we're just going to see more of him and Butler. And what a backcourt, man. These two kids are, are ready to play in the NBA, I think. And, you know, they're, they're both unique. They're both going to do a lot of different things for the team, and they're both winners. This is one of the best backcourts I've certainly seen in recent memory. Like, I can't, I can't think of many more aggressive and versatile backcourts that we've seen in the college game over the last, like, three, four, five years. Um, they're, they're, they're certainly up there. And, and as we mentioned, with, with Butler, you can make the same case for Mitchell, that since Mitchell's um, been playing big-time minutes at, at Baylor, they've been one of the best teams in the country, period. So yep. it's not just Butler; it's also Mitchell's contributions as well, and what he's a, what he's been able to bring to that team on both ends is just nothing but success. Um, so, number twenty-five on your board, number twenty-four on mine, Ron Harper Jr. I know you love this guy, Cole. You were you were the first person to to really mention his name to me and get me on to watching more of his film overall. So. Why don't you actually take the reins on this one? Why don't you kind of explain to the audience what you've loved from, from Harper Jr., what's your evaluation on him, and, and what should our audience look for when they're watching him and, and breaking down his game? Sure. So I mean, he was doing some serious lifting early in the season when Rutgers was hot. Uh, I think he was averaging something like 22 a game, if not even higher than that a little bit. Um, but he's, he's just a really all-around solid wing. Um, I don't want the body type to fool you a little bit. He's pretty light on his feet at 6'6", 245. That's what they got him listed at. Um, he moves well despite being a little girthy. Um, so I wouldn't let that concern you. I even think he's got some reverse projection. Uh, but he's he's an intangibles wing with a little bit of game uh, despite that and all other facets. Uh, and he's a really good shooter too. I think some of the numbers have regressed for him at Rutgers uh, over the course of the season just because he's had to do so much of the lifting. Um, I'm not sure about their team situation. Maybe they've incurred some injuries as well. Uh, that's attributed to why he's dropped off some. Um, but I think if you just get this kid back out of Rutgers, you're going to see why uh, or what there is to like so much about him. He's an excellent spot-up shooter. Um, he's great on defense. He does all the little things. Uh, he makes timely cuts. He's great at just finding little gaps in the defense uh, when, he's, you know, when he's moving off the ball and just being able to turn and face and hit a little mid-range jumper. He's got a little bit of an old school game and nothing's like that sexy, but he gets it done and he's really smart and he's not going to, he's not going to kill you in any one way, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a, a guy that the more you watch, the more you like, I think. And you, you got to spend some time really digging into his game to see all the things he does because there's some nights where he has to do all the scoring for Rutgers. And then there's other nights where he's playing, you know, the focal point of the defense. So I think that's only going to help his case uh, moving forward. He's just got a, he's been able to wear so many hats at Rutgers that he's just going to be able to do that in the NBA as well. Yeah, and you 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 mentioned where he started out the season, um, the level that he was scoring the basketball at. He's still averaging 17 points per game and ranking yeah. in the 89th percentile in total offense. The the, the dude's a walking bucket, taking uh, over six threes per game and hitting them at like a 36 percent clip. Like that's incredibly valuable on top of everything else that he can do off the dribble and then scoring around the basket because of his size. He's not the tallest guy, but he has that much bulk to him um, that, that, that he's by no means a pushover around the basket, right? He, he's going to have his way on, on more wing matchups than not even at the next level in the NBA. So um, some of the things that jumped out to me, um, and then I'll let you respond is he, he's rated out very good as a pick and roll ball handler. 
Now that was interesting to me because you you normally wouldn't fashion somebody with his body type and his build being as good off the move as you alluded to and how some of the stats have shown. Like I wouldn't expect him to be the this this really good scorer and and handler out of pick and roll situations, but that's something that he's proven that he can do. So on top of what he can do off the catch hitting three-pointers out of like a corner shot, um, some of the shots that he can hit off the dribble in the mid-range. You can also run him through certain play types, um, certain professional play types, and he's going to be able to excel in those as well. Um, he, he's a natural cutter. He just knows how to get himself open, and he just knows how to get a bucket, period. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was that he's in the 86th percentile in total defense in the country. Again, something else that I wouldn't necessarily expect because so much of his game goes into the offensive end. That's where he's expect, uh, expending a lot of his energy. Um, he's also bringing it on defense, and he's helping Rutgers certainly maintain any sort of defensive advantage that they've had over teams at this point in the season. So um, what have you seen about his defense, Cole? Why do you think that he's been so successful defensively despite the, the knock on him that oh, he, he might be a, a little slow-footed, a little too big for like a wing spot. Clearly, he's proven people wrong, at least in that area. Yeah, so his, his foot speed may not be otherworldly, but he's long and he's never really out of position. So, I mean, like, there's really no, like, space that he ever has to make up, whereas a lot of guys are, you know, they drift a little bit and they're scrambling to get back. Nah, that's not him. He's always in position and he's, he's ready to intercept passes too, which is why he's able to get, you know, his, his, a couple steals here and there um, and show up in that department. Uh, it's, to go back to um, you know, the point you made about his pick and roll ability as well, I think he's got a really good handle. And not that it's like super creative or anything, but it's super safe for a guy his size. He, doesn't, he, he gets low to the ground without sacrificing his mobility. Um, and, it, and he's able to like get going pretty quickly too. His first step isn't explosive by any means, but he can catch you with a hesitation and then get by and then keep you on his back with his body. So I think that's why he excels in pick and roll. And then he's making good decisions. That's what he does all the time. So I think those were two interesting finds by you. And I think those are two things that he's going to be able to continue to show that he's capable of doing at the next level as well. Yeah. Very, very heady playmaker, very crafty score. Um, j just a heads up guy overall on both ends of the floor. Um, the, the fact that you and I have him kind of like okay. ranked as a first rounder and, and you and I think that's where he ultimately belongs because of his polish and his ability to affect the game on both ends of the floor. Mm -hmm. I, I made that argument to somebody on Twitter and they fired back at me with, well, if Jordan Wara, the, the Louisville guy couldn't go first round, what makes you think that Ron Harper Jr. deserves to go in the first round? Well, I think we just laid out that case because of the defense. Um, yeah. I never saw that kind of defensive ability from Jordan Wara. I think if you put him out on the perimeter, um, ultimately he's getting lost. We, we've already seen some of that with the playing time he's gotten with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, when he's on the floor for the Bucks, he's that good of a spot-up shooter and that talented of an offensive threat that he's going to make an impact. But you still kind of have to worry about him defensively. You got to hide him at times. I don't think you have to hide Ron Harper Jr. in the same way that you have to hide Jordan War, despite their their size and their offensive games being similar. I think that's what gives Harper Jr. the advantage and the edge and what can help him get into the first round of this draft. Yeah, no, expanding on him being never out of position, like we have here that he's on, out of synergy. He's very good at guarding jumpers. I mean, that's that can't be underrated. A lot of people take – there's a lot of jump shots in the NBA – um, so I, I would, I would venture a guess that he probably has a really low foul rate on closeouts and that should be something we try and look at a little bit more 
but because he's never out of position, he's not forced to take tough closeouts and, and you know, potentially foul three-point shooters. So I think, yeah, I think that type of defense will translate for him going forward, and that's why there is the difference between him and Nora. Bucket getters that you don't have to worry about on defense and worry about hiding all the time. That's an archetype that can't be thought highly enough of in today's NBA game. So you and I agree on that point completely. Um, last guy that we're going to talk about today, number 25 on my board, not on this segment for you, Cole, but maybe you'll have him in the 26th or 30, and we'll get to talk about him even a little bit next week. Who knows? Um, but Charles Bassey, the, the Western Kentucky Center, 6'11", 235 pounds, um, redshirt player because he got hurt very early on last season, but has got it into his groove this season and is putting up great numbers, um, almost 18 points per game, 12 rebounds a game. He, he's pretty much automatic by the basket. Any metric that you could look at him around the rim, whether it's scoring, whether it's holding down his own, protecting the rim, um, he, he's excellent across the board. He's excellent in post-ups on offense. Um, he, he's very good around the basket and excellent um, in guarding around the rim. Um, in post-ups as well as non-post-ups. So he is a brick wall and a chiseled man, right? Like he's another guy, when we talk about Garuba's body and what we think about him physically, Bassey's another guy who is ready to step into the league and, and make an impact. And probably the name that I would throw out to our audience if they haven't really been exposed to Bassey a ton is if you liked Isaiah Stewart, then you should also like Bassey. Because to me, they're two very similar players. They're both high motor centers. They love running the floor. They're excellent transition. Um, and they're enforcers around the basket. They play tough. They play big. And, and they mean it, right? Like, if you're going to challenge them, you better be ready for a world of pain. Now, the thing that I liked about Stewart is not as evident in Bassey's game, where we saw upside with Stewart as being a guy who had this, this really weird, like, this feathery touch from, like, the mid-range on a shot. Bassey's proven that he can knock down some jumpers, but I don't see his jump shot being able to translate as well long-term as we think Stewart's can. Uh, particularly, I think that's probably a reason why the Pistons liked him was he gave them everything they wanted physically from like a backup center to somebody who could potentially grow into a starting role. But that shooting um, touch that he has from the mid-range likely is going to be extended out to the three-point line. And he could be a really interesting like stretch five option long-term for them. So um, I think he certainly has that edge over Bassey, but everything else physicality wise um, around the basket, Bassey's like that similar kind of player. And you and I, Cole, we both liked Isaiah Stewart. Um, I think you ended up being a little higher on him than I was for last year's draft. But regardless, we both had him as someone who should be a first round pick, um, even though that that wasn't consensus by the time the draft rolled around, like a lot of people were scratching their heads, let alone the fact that he went as high as he did to the Pistons, but the fact that he even went first round period where there were a lot of interesting other potential quote unquote higher upside names on the board that you might want to throw a dart at or take a stab at rather than like this old school style center, or at least that that's how he was being sold coming into the draft. So do you kind of see Bassey being thought of in the same way and getting higher praise from the same circles, Cole? Or do you think there's a bigger difference there between the two guys than I alluded to? So, I'll, so I probably think there's a bigger difference. Um, you know, you, you intro on Bassey with saying that if you love Stewart, you probably are in the camp of being a fan of Bassey. And honestly, I don't know if I am. And I was, yeah, I was pretty high on Stewart last year, admittedly. 
Um, and I think the difference, as you pointed out already, is definitely the jump shot. I know Bassey can hit it here and there, and I think he'll get better at it to the point where it's something he can pull out every now and then. Um, but you definitely don't want him extending the floor on a regular basis at the next level, whereas Isaiah Stewart, I think, will get to that point because his touch is so good. And then I think while Bassey is not lacking uh, in the physical department, I think Stewart was almost special in that sense. Like, dudes just bounce off him in a different way. I mean, Stewart's and, a house. Like, <laughs> yeah. like let, let, I, I, I won't take that away. Like, Stewart's a house. But if you're saying that Bassey isn't, like, I agree, Stewart's, he, he's got a broader um a, a broader upper body than Bassey yeah. does but Bassey's it's, also like chiseled man like no, he's, he he's no slouch either I'm not trying to take anything away from Bassey by any stretch it's just it, some guys just have some freak stuff about them and I think Stewart has this freak something in his body where he's just like you know made of part iron and dude just bounce off him at a ridiculous <laughs> rate so um I think Bassey will be a similar player uh you know work hard around the rim clean up the glass. Um, I think he might be a better vertical threat around the rim. Uh, Stewart kind of relies on timing, I think, a little bit more for his block shot uh, numbers. So I think, you know, it's, I think Bassey's going to be a bit of a, a preferred taste when it comes to scouting departments these days. If you, you know, if you're looking for this kind of guy off your bench where you need an old school big who can do some of the old school big type things because you have some other guys who are a little bit more versatile doing other things. And yeah, Bassey's the guy for you. But I don't think he's, uh, do, you, do you see like a starter long-term for him or do you think he's more of just like the, a guy when you need him uh, depending on matchups and stuff? I think because of how physical and how athletic he is, um, I think the market can still be there for him in terms of somebody drafting him with like long-term plans of being a starter. The fact that Stewart was picked where he was, I understand it's the Pistons. I understand that sometimes we're left scratching our heads at some of the things that the Pistons decide to do. But the fact that he was taken where he was, that that spoke volumes to me, that that type of player can still be highly thought of regardless of what draft circle you're in. And that type of player can still be taken in the first round of a draft and still find a home. That, that that spoke volumes to me, and that's why I think because of that pick, because of that outcome that we saw for Stewart, I can see a similar outcome being the case for Bassey because I think at the end of the day, in terms of the, the nitty-gritty, what do they do best? What are the strengths that they're going to be leaning on early in their careers? I think a lot of it has to do with their physical makeups. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I, I think that Bassey just has a similar makeup and athletic package to what Stewart brought to the table. And I think that because he knows what he's good at and because he's shown that he can be uber efficient at those things um, at the college level, I think that's going to give him a leg up and, and really attract somebody to, to draft him in the first round of this upcoming draft. I mean, you, you look at some of these numbers, 3.7 steals of blocks per game, the majority yeah. of that coming from the blocks, but still over three blocks a game, a 33.6 player efficiency rating. I understand he's playing at Western Kentucky. He's not always playing the best of teams, but when Western Kentucky has gone out of their conference and has had to play somebody who you would think would be significantly better in like a non-conference situation, Bassey holds his own. He was, oh, he, he showed was out. He, yeah, he was a top recruit coming out of high school, and just because he went to Western Kentucky doesn't mean I think that we should forget about him as much as some evaluators around the country, I think, no. have. Like, he's not a name that you hear thrown around at a lot of different conversations, but he's someone that I've always been a fan of, 
because I don't think that the quote unquote old school yet athletic big, like I don't think that's something that should be like thrown out the window. I still think that's a very valuable player, regardless of the role you, the role you want to project him out to. I think Bassey can still find a great home in the NBA. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to knock him for further than this. He was somebody who I kind of viewed at the beginning of the year as a potential lottery pick. I think that we've had so many other names and so many more interesting outcomes pop up who should be valued ahead of Bassey. But at the same time, I'm not going to knock him out of my first round or, or what I would project to be in, in our last weeks of doing a big board by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think that's la- that last point is probably why I'm, I'm not totally two feet in there on him just yet because there have been so many other interesting guys pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, if the G League is six days away and we get to finally watch Jalen Green, John Kamen, and all, all these other guys. Um, so that's pretty exciting as well. But to, to your point that he's played well against uh, non-conference teams at, that are power conference opponents, here we go. Memphis, 21 and 14 this year. West Virginia, 15 and 8. Louisville, 13 and 15. And that was three consecutive games for you. And then he faced Alabama a few weeks later and went for 27 and 12. Four power conference teams that are all ranked right now, I think, or have been at least this season. Uh, so he's definitely no slouch against the best of the best in college basketball right now. So I, I think he definitely will be able to translate to the next level um, like you are very um, you know, hopeful of. And he'll, he'll be able to keep that old school athletic five in style, just like Isaiah Stewart is. I, I'm confident in Bassey. Uh, I will buy all of your Bassey stock. Just, just yeah. like how we just saw the GameStop stock situation, I, I will take everyone's Bassey stock and, and I will let it propel me um, to new draft financial heights. I'll, I'll, I'll let it happen. So um, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. As Cole alluded to, the G League season starts next week. We're recording this on Thursday, February 4th, Wednesday, February 10th is the kickoff for the G League season, and the Ignite team is playing at that 11 a.m. Eastern time time slot. So we're probably going to record next week's pod around the same time. We're going to do it on Thursday so that we have that day to kind of soak in and, and, and watch that game and dive deeper into it. So we're going to be talking about those guys at length, along with wrapping up the end of our quote-unquote big board series. So um, I'm really excited for that one. I know Cole's excited for that one. Um, in the meantime, again, everyone follow us on social media. Um, hit us with a subscribe on YouTube and, and and be in touch with us as we get deeper into this evaluation process. And we will look forward to coming back and having a conversation with everyone next week about these G League guys and some of the other prospects we're valuing in this draft class. So um, thank you again, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your week.